Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside Bucks Radio Network host, Justin Garcia, as we continue to rotate the host through in this week-long lead-up to the start of the postseason. We've been sitting here tonight watching the play-in tournament games. The Wizards and Celtics are currently underway right now. The Pacers and Hornets was an absolute snooze fest. But we're going to continue talking about the Bucks and Heat and you guys are the ones that are going to dictate the conversation today. I sent the shout out on Twitter. You guys hit me up with an unbelievable amount of questions. So we don't have time to go through them all, but the beauty of that is we've got the rest of the week uh, to go through. And I'm also going to be doing a locker room at some stage as well. So we'll have time to, to try and hit all the topics that have been brought up. But tonight I've picked a few that Justin and myself are going to go through for this episode that is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me this week. To get in on the action, that's locker room changing the way we talk about sports. Justin, it's good to find time to catch up with you. You've got a few days here. I, I would have to imagine uh, being in the inner sanctum of the Bucks with the, the, the broadcast team and, and everything that goes on with you guys. There must be uh, plenty of planning and plenty going on this week ahead of the start of the postseason, which, as we know, last year you guys, so we all did, but you guys in particular, uh, missed out on the fun of being in the arena for these games. Well, we were in the arena, but it was an empty arena. Right. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been nice, but uh, strange at the same time. But I'm a, I'm a big fan of the play-in tournament, especially since the Bucks are not featured in it. Just <laughs> to you know, change things a little bit. And I think we talked about before, too, how um, you look at the last month and a half of the regular season and how there are teams that probably would have basically punted on the season that remained invested. So that's been big. And then getting that week off for every team not in it is something that I, I'm sure most players are going to say, yeah, we're fine with this as long as we don't end up in the play-in tournament. Yeah, I'm a little bit cautious about this week off. Um, this is absolutely just my own feelings about this. And this is probably a completely separate conversation. But uh, I'll be at least a little bit anxious heading into game one because I think you may see some off performances from these teams. It's not often that you get an entire week off. I know occasionally it happens in the postseason if there's a sweep up against a, a seven-game series and you may be waiting for an opponent. But it's certainly unprecedented to have a week off here. And it did change, I think, the calculus of how teams manage players, not only because there were seeding factors at play, but teams understood, well, I mean... <laughs> Yes, you want to protect them from getting hurt, but you also need to get some reps when you have a whole week off. So it's interesting. We heard from some of the players uh, this morning, uh, well, my time this morning, and uh, you know the fact that they're able to practice and really scheme and work on some things is just fascinating because they haven't always had the time to do that. But I figured we'll jump straight into the questions because, like I said, we've got so many that have come through. Uh, I've got an interesting one to lead us off here, and I mentioned this to you before we started recording. It comes from Drew, who asked, will this team finally value possessions or will they still let it fly now 
this is this has been a fascinating topic of conversation that certainly we've discussed on this show before and i've certainly i I think at least three times i've asked bud about shot selection and how you manage that and how you determine in different situations in game what is a good shot what is a bad shot Uh, i just ripped off some of the numbers with your help here before we jumped on justin so this is three point attempts within the first six seconds of the shot clock. So we know the Bucs, they, they can be prone to getting up some quick shots here. So this is the starting lineup. Giannis, 21 for 64. Dante, 33 for 83. Brooke, 6 for 35. Chris Middleton, 21 for 61. Drew Holiday, 17 for 45. So the starting group shooting threes this season within the first six seconds of the shot clock and 98 for 287. That's 34.1%. It's not a disastrous percentage, but it's certainly below average. Um, it, it's those numbers aren't all that impressive, Justin. No, it's a, it's certainly not good. And um, I think the most encouraging part is the uh, guy on the team that I don't think he's taken the most. Well, yeah, he has taken the most. He's also <laughs> shooting at the highest percentage there, and that's Brent Forbes. So that's the good part. Um, and I know there's a question that relates to him that I'll save the rest for in a little bit. But to me, the other part is. I guess with the way it was worded too, of the let it fly, I get, I think what the question is steered towards, not just how early are they shooting the threes, but just this was a team when you think to the the culture shock, basically of Bud's first year here, when we saw in the preseason, the the amount of threes that they attempted, we kind of realized going in, yeah, the offense is going to be better. And here's what Atlanta did. And they were much more reliant on three point shots. So the bucks are probably going to increase in that area. Cause I mean, where they were, prior to Bud coming here, they went from 25 threes they were attempting a game to nearly 40. So it was a massive leap, and we saw that in the preseason. But it's decreased this year, and I think a lot of that has to do with Drew Holiday. A lot of it in the second half especially has to do with Brooke Lopez, and they're taking more and more two-point shots and shots that you know we'd seen them kind of swear off the last two years. So I think that has to be considered with the whole let it fly approach as well, that if there's a really good look, they're going to take it. But it does feel like we've seen them a little more patient to run some things closer to the basket this year. I think it's also game situational as well in terms of, uh, you know, whether you determine that as a good shot. And, And I know, again, a lot of it is make or miss. And a lot of people will say, well, it's always a bad shot. I don't necessarily subscribe to that. But I think that's why it's a little bit more complicated as well because you referenced it. When Bud came in here, the philosophy around the offense and giving these guys these, this incredible confidence to shoot the ball and understand that they're not going to get berated if it's a, a quote-unquote bad shot within the offense. So part of that is mental and getting these guys to feel really confident about the way that they shoot the ball. So it's... I think big picture, it's the right attitude to take. And I, I, I do like the way that Bud has handled that over the course of his tenure in Milwaukee. But as we've seen in recent playoff situations, it's it's different when you're losing in a playoff series. And And we've spoken a lot about the fact that you can't get a deficit back all in a few shots. And the players talk about that all the time. But then they say, but also at the same time, this is the offense we're taking. These are the shots that we've taken, and these are the shots that we are encouraged to take and given the confidence to take. So part of that um, also plays a factor in this. But in general, again, if the Bucks find themselves down in the third quarter of a game by 10 points, 
run some offense. You don't have to get it all back in one go. And get, particularly this team, I think particularly this team, more so than last year's version with Bledsoe and these guys that once you got into the half court, you felt that you were maybe going to get suffocated a little bit. I think they'll be able to do a little bit more with the team that they have now. So perhaps they would be better suited in those situations to settle it down a little bit, get into some half court stuff, run some sets and find themselves a good shot. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that in just looking at comparing the year by year with them that kind of relates to this question that really stand out to me that it feels like we've talked about parts of it throughout the year that now when you look at it, uh, it's either just really a light has shined on it or it's changed a little bit when we, you know, early in the season, there was so much emphasis on how they were crashing the glass more on the offensive end and they weren't getting back in, in defense um, you know, it, it feels like we've seen that kind of gradually decrease a little bit through the year, but you've still noticed, okay, they're really attacking the glass now instead of getting back in transition defense. And by the numbers, it's basically even with what they did a season ago in terms of the raw offensive rebounding numbers. And I know more of it goes into that than just the raw numbers and, and what the opponent did, but that stood out. They've really cut down on their turnovers this year compared to previous years, which may surprise people given some of the high turnovers we've seen recently. But it, that three-point volume to me is just crazy that they've attempted basically 200 fewer threes this year. And it, it seems like they've been much more judicious where when you think back to how necessary it was for Brooke Lopez to stretch the floor, I mean, he was basically your best three point shooter for the duration of those two years. And I think adding more capable shooters has allowed them to change that approach where it does feel like overall they're taking better quality shots from the outside. And again, to have guys like Bryn Forbes and Bobby Portis that I think are, are better shooters than the Bucks have ever had during the Mike Budenholzer tenure, that's going to help with the uh, numbers as well. So just looking at things like that with just how drastically they've cut down on turnovers and the shot profile that, you know, as we talked about, they're taking more two-point shots and yet their free throws also drastically went down. All right, I mentioned the Locker Room app right off the top. They are sponsoring this show today. And Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, Justin, Frank, everyone on Locked On Bucks, but also other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. So it's it's pretty damn cool. I got to be honest, I was surprised the first time I used it. Locker Room is the perfect place to start or join in conversations about the league. You'll find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news or rumors. Be, be sure to join me later this week. I'll be hosting a room, uh, again, continuing the lead up to this series between the Bucks and the Heat. Just go download the free Locker Room app, app now, currently available on iOS, and I believe it's also on Android now, so make sure you check that out. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. Follow me at Kane Pittman. You'll be notified when my room goes live. I know you guys are going to enjoy this, so I'll see you in there, Locker Room, changing the way we talk about sports. Okay, let's keep rolling with the questions now. And we have a question from Justin Cape who says, who do you think is in the closing lineup against the Heat? I feel like in this series it will include Brooke Lopez. I I find this fascinating, but I'm going to throw to you first, Justin, because I I think that Miami presents a number of possible 
answers to this question. Yeah. Um, at the risk of providing a cop-out answer, I think it, it could really change. Um, I think ideally though, I don't know that Brooke Lopez is going to be like, I think there's going to be games and opportunities where he is going to be closing against Miami, but I think at, at, at best, it's probably going to be about 50, 50, depending on some of the looks that Miami throws out there, because I'm guessing Miami's closing lineup is obviously Bam and, you know, Jimmy Butler um, and Trevor Ariza is, is going to be their four. So I guess you, it would, to me, it would make a little more sense to just go with the lineups that we envision the Bucks to use against teams like the Brooklyn Nets, where it's going to be Giannis and PJ Tucker and Chris on the front line there. And uh, to me, the real intrigue is, how do you balance the backcourt? Because, you know, we know Bud loves Dante. We know he loves Pat Connaughton as well. And I think that has to be a case-by-case situation, depending on what the defensive assignments are and how both guys, I know we've seen Pat primarily play the three, but depending on how both guys are playing um, on the defensive end and how their counterpart is doing, I would be much more open to that of if you told me, hey, it's, it's kind of going to be – We'll we'll see how the game is going, and that's the one to keep an eye on. Not so much Brooke Lopez and PJ Tucker in the front court, but Dante and whoever else is you could potentially throw out there in the back court. I say that, but I have no real inclination that we won't see Dante getting those extended minutes. But to me, when you look at this heat matchup, that's the interesting one uh, to look at and see and say, well, if things break a certain way. At times, I understand what you're giving up, but at times, I would almost feel more comfortable with Pat out there. Yeah, we've seen Pat a number of occasions through this season go to Pat late in those games and give give him credit. He's hit some big threes as well in big moments for the Bucs uh, at least two or three times. I remember him hitting big shots uh, late in games there. I want to incorporate a couple of other questions in with this one because I think the answer to this closing lineup question is tied into these two. And, and there was a number of questions around this. So um, if, if it's not your question specifically, hopefully we can answer um, what you were trying to ask here. But the first one is from Justin Wills who says, how do you think the Bucks balance the drop coverage with Brooke in which he clearly outplayed Bam last game versus the reality that Miami will likely attack that with a ton of dribble handoffs with their shooters in game one. And a follow-up to that from MacGyver says, do you have the feeling that Bud will stick to his old habits? Uh, He's got a drop defense there and will be afraid to use all the adjustments he tested all season long. So I I think that this ties in with Justin Cape's question about the closing lineup, because I do think that there is going to be a bit of a trade-off here with defense and offense. And And I don't, it's not to say that I think that, Brooke Lopez is going to be a liability defensively because I absolutely do not. And in fact, with Bam Adebayo, yes, he's a fantastic passer of the ball, but he's, he's not a three-point threat. So I think that he's much improved in the mid-range. I think he's actually got a really nice-looking mid-range shot. And, and we saw him come up with some of those uh, jump shots through the year. But in theory, you should be able to put Brooke Lopez on the floor with Bam out there. Now, the problem is if the Bucks also have a PJ Tucker and a Giannis and a Drew Holiday out there and they want to switch these actions, you know for sure that Eric Spolster is going to be putting Brook Lopez in every single pick and roll situation he can so he can get 
Brooke out on the perimeter on a Goran Dragic, on a Tyler Hero, on a Jimmy Butler. That's what they're going to try to do. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see how Brooke Lopez handles this early in the series. And I think that that is going to dictate what we see late in games. If Brooke can be capable defensively, and even in those situations when he's out on the perimeter, and I do think that at times... Uh, Brooke can be judged harshly by the fans. And it's almost like any time he's out on the perimeter, it's a failure. I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's been disastrous. But if he's been exposed, that's going to ask some questions of the Bucs. But then offensively, he's going to be a factor. Not only have we seen him play a different role here in the last sort of month or so where he's really come in the perimeter, stepped away from the three-point line and putting up as really as consistent scoring as we've seen since he's been in Milwaukee. But in that series last year against the Heat, Brook Lopez averaged 18 points, 55% from the field, 42% from three as well. He was a factor offensively. He is a guy that with Bam, that's going to be uh, giving so much attention to Giannis. Brook can get off the chain a little bit. So this is going to be a, a fascinating back and forth for mine. And, and I think that, like as you said, uh, I, I'm, I'm, giving, I'm cutting you some slack. I don't think it's a cop-out. I, I think we're going to see a, a bit of everything in this series. And no, I, I'm not concerned that Bud will just stick to his old habits. So, I mean, that's, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, what we've seen so far through the regular season is specifically for these situations. Yeah, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not at all concerned there. I mean, I think if we, if you talked about coaching, your concern would be that you know Eric Spolster is maybe the best at making adjustments. So we've seen the Bucks change some things and do things differently this year. But you're going up against a guy that you know is the best in the league or one of the best when it comes to making that adjustment on the fly and especially game to game. And now you give Eric Spolstra a full week to prepare for a seven-game series or best-of-seven-game series against the Bucs. So that's going to be interesting to see. Um, the BAM component is, is also interesting to me because, you know, I, I know one of the questions coming up is about X-Factor, so I'm not going to give away too much here. But let's also keep in mind, there's been a lot of changes to this Miami team, and it's not just the Bucs that you can point to and say, hey, our roster's different and we feel like it's, it's, it's different for the better. That Miami, you know, I'm not going to say they've really fallen off a cliff, but their roster has gone through quite a bit of change as well. And I don't think it's been for the better, and everybody's going to point to Jay Crowder. But to me, as crazy as it is to say, even the loss of a guy like Kelly Olynyk, when you think about the minutes that he played in this series last year, and he was a, a guy that was constantly just popping open <laughs> and hitting those threes. And when you look at his offensive rating in the series, granted – it had to do with who he was on the floor with, but it was right up there with Bam Adebayo. So you were getting equal production from both of those guys when they're on the floor. I know they've added Dwayne Dedman, but I'm sorry. I, I, I don't put Dwayne Dedman in the same class as Kelly Olynyk. not to say he's an all-star, but we've seen Kelly Olynyk do this in the playoffs throughout his career. So the, the Jay Crowder thing is big, but not having Kelly Olynyk either to throw out there in those minutes that Bam is off the floor is something that could potentially be really big in this series because when he is off the floor, they don't have a whole lot of size. Whereas we just went through Dwayne Dedman is basically it for the bigs that they can throw out there. And then you're going with undersized guys like Trevor Ariza and Nemanja Bialica. All right, next question we've got comes from Anil Saw. And, and this, this question was a beauty. He says, if I'm watching the game and get hungry for a snack, is there some sort of protein-filled bar-shaped snack that you personally recommend? And I, I got to tell you, I've got an easy answer for that. In fact, it's the best-tasting protein bar that's ever been made. And of course, that is Built Bar. 
They have nine delicious flavors right now. I'm so excited. I can't even talk. They've got nine delicious flavors right now online that you can check out. Uh, I've said this before. If you can't decide, which I I, I perfectly understand that, if you can't decide between which flavor you want, then don't worry about it. Just get a mix box. You'll get two of each of the nine flavors. And then next time, uh, you might be able to make a decision. Built Bars are healthy for you, which is uh, one of the more important things when you're wanting a snack that you think to yourself can't possibly be healthy for you, but Built Bars... Ah, so make sure you order today and you do that by going to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com and then jump across to betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NBA postseason is here. Baseball season is full in full swing. NHL is on fire right now as well, and the UFC MMA action can all be found over at betonline.ag. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as the teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code Locked On. Uh, that's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we actually have a, a, a... I don't want to downplay the first question we had from Anil Saw there. I thought it was fantastic. You could tell that personally I enjoyed that. I was waiting to do that transition literally all day, so I was fired up about that. But he does have a basketball-related question, an on-court basketball-related question. He says, super generic, but which player do you think will be an X factor in the series? Could be Bucks or Heat player. We talk about the Bucks so much. So I, I've gone... and I. Just from what you said before, I sense maybe you've done the same. I've gone with a Miami player, and I've gone with Duncan Robinson. Okay. Now, I think with this, the regular season that he had last year, he, he loomed as a major threat in this series. And you already rattled off a couple of names that in the end were very influential when you think about Kelly Olenek and, uh, and Jay Crowder as well. Tyler Hero had a couple of moments there. But Duncan Robertson, if you go through and look at the box scores uh, from this series, he was really a non-factor. Game one, he only took four shots. And in fact, in four of the five games, he took fewer than 10 attempts, uh, 10 field goal attempts. He scored in single digits three out of the five games. And the one game that he actually did play well, he, sh- he made 20 points on seven for 13 from the field, six for 12 from three. The Heat lost. That was the one game they lost. So... I think Duncan Robinson looms as an X factor because we can point to some of the things where we think perhaps Miami have dropped off a little bit. And I think those elements are real. But if you talk about areas where they can really improve, it's Duncan Robinson for mine. I mean, he is, he's going to be difficult to contain. We've seen Chris Middleton take the job in, in recent times. And to be fair, give him a lot of credit. Yes, Duncan Robinson. I, I, I tweeted something out that Drew Holiday said that you know, Chris Milton did a great job on Duncan Robinson. And I, there was a tweet that I got in response that said, oh yeah, he did a great job. Duncan Robinson was shooting all these open threes. And I'm like, okay, yes, Duncan Robinson is going to get some open threes. I'm, I hate to break it to you. No one is going to be able to stop him from doing that. But I think Middleton overall deserves a little bit of credit for the way that he chases him. And it just takes some time when you're watching these games just to watch Middleton and how much ground he has to cover just to chase this guy around the perimeter. And then he's obviously playing a lead role on the other end as well. So uh, Robertson for mine is an X factor. Yeah, there's uh, – I mean, he was – he was one of the guys that I would have mentioned for the reasons you pointed out that, you know, I think a lot of us forget he didn't have a great series 
um, against the Bucks. And, and the Heat had five guys that shot 45% or better from three in that series. Maybe it was 40%, but in that ballpark, they had five guys that shot 40% or better from three, and Duncan Robinson was not one of them. <laughs> yeah, so crazy. That, that kind of shows you how it went. Um, you know, the, the two that really stood out to me, obviously – the Duncan Robinson component, I think, you know, to a lesser extent, the the guys like, okay, well, how does Dwayne Dedman potentially replace Kelly Olynyk if we do see decent Dwayne Dedman minutes in this? I mean, I know he's a new addition to the Heat, and you haven't seen a whole lot of him, but there's that. Um, to me, it's if you look at replacing guys, uh, it's going to be big to see what Trevor Ariza does to mimic what Jay Crowder gave you. And again, you're not expecting – the shooting percentages that Jay Crowder gave in that series, especially as that was another trend we saw from Miami that their shooting started to gradually dip off after they played the bucks in the postseason. But, um, you know, I, I guess it's probably not really a name that you would associate with a X factor where the question is kind of geared towards, but, um, to me, it, it's, it's Jimmy Butler that depending on what he plays like and what level he's at, because Jimmy Butler, you know, the bubble run of Jimmy Butler is one of the things that I think a lot of us are going to point back on and say, remember when Jimmy Butler played like the MVP in the league and had that run in the playoffs? Uh, he was unstoppable against the Bucks in that series on both ends of the floor. And what was really jarring was, you know, he was a guy that was basically hitting all of his threes that he took <laughs> in that series. And he shot around 25% from three for the season. He was at the same mark this year as well. So to me, it's going to be the offense of Jimmy Butler and how can he take over games? I think the Bucs are more suited to defend him now with, you know, just if for no other reason than the addition of Drew Holiday, that that's between he or Chris and even P.J. Tucker, I'm assuming, is going to see some reps on Jimmy Butler. So they have more bodies to throw at him, but how can he do it on both ends of the floor? If he does that again, it's going to be an uphill battle. But if you can slow him down and if you – can kind of live with some of the things you said of, you know, we can't assume we're going to get another series like this from Duncan Robinson. So if he starts hitting threes, we got to limit everything else. And the problem last year was everybody but Duncan Robinson was hitting threes and they limited nothing else. Yeah, I think in general, it's, it's he, Butler that is, as you sort of pointed to, hit some really difficult jump shots. And I, I think in general, you kind of live with that normally. Yeah. Um, but in combination with everyone else getting off the chain, uh, you're right. It became a little bit tough to overcome combined with the fact that the Bucks' offense was stuck in mud for most of that series. So that leads us to the next question, which again, I'm going to combine a couple of these here. So uh, Califan12 says, GA uh, doesn't seem to score as much versus Heat, including the second to last game of the regular season. Is the Heat doing something particular on D that may cause problems, even with the dunker spot scheme? And then that kind of leads into the next question, which is, uh, I, I, I don't know, but it's, it's more why song. That's the Twitter name there. It says, how big of a loss was Jay Crowder for the Heat? I feel like he made a, uh, a lot of big plays for the Heat. Well, no doubt he did. We've spoke a lot about what he did on offense and the way he shot the ball from three during this show so far. But one thing that did stand out to me watching this game on the weekend was that you know, Trevor Ariza doesn't feel like an adequate replacement defensively for Giannis, mostly because he doesn't have the physical 
size that Jay Crowder does. And, and if you want an answer to why Giannis has struggled against Miami, it's because of the discipline and the commitment to show multiple bodies at him. So, you know, we've seen it time and time again. You turn on ESPN, you turn on whatever show it is, and they say, such and such player has stopped Giannis. The Kawhi Leonard stopped Giannis in the Eastern Conference Finals. And it's like, guys, are you watching this? Are you even watching the game if you come out and say something like that? And we saw similar stuff with Bam last year. And again, it's like, okay, I get it. Bam is a terrific defender, but Bam isn't stopping Giannis one-on-one across the course of seven games. He's just not. But the fact that if you have Bam and you combine that with Jimmy and you combine that with Jay Crowder and Andrea Iguodala, and yeah, Trevor Ariza is a help defender as well, then it becomes a more difficult challenge. And Giannis has struggled with, at times, I, I think trying to force it a little bit and trying to do too much when he gets the ball uh, away from the basket. I think we saw him start to, to crack the code a little bit the other night. Again, there was no Jimmy, but crack the code a little bit by being used as the roll man, finding the ball on the short roll so he catches it at the elbow or catches it at the free throw line. And it's easier for him to, to stand up and make a decision whether he's going to use one dribble and get to the basket or he's going to find an open shooter if the help comes at him with three or four bodies. So uh, I think that Miami, the reason why they've caused him trouble is the combination of physical size and intelligence. They're an incredibly coached team. Uh, they're, They're incredibly smart. The veteran players that they have are just terrific individual defenders. So I just don't think that there's too many teams in the league that can throw that type of uh, scenario at Giannis. I I think Toronto had it for that one year with Kawhi and Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka and Kyle Lowry. These guys, Pascal Siakam, terrific combined defensive unit. And that's what it takes to slow down Giannis. But I was looking at the numbers for Giannis from this series last year. Uh, Keeping in mind that he left one of these games super early. So the per game stats are a little bit muddled here. And then, of course, in game five, or sorry, game five, he left uh, early there as well. He still finished with 22 points, 11 rebounds, six assists per game. And that was despite the fact that we know the free throw shooting was was incredibly problematic. So... I just think that, yes, uh, he, you want him to be the best player. And this was part of the conversation we had with Frank yesterday about can the Bucs win this series if he's not the leading scorer? I think they can if he's patient and, and makes qu- quick, quick, but, but the right decisions and doesn't try to force things. Then I think that you can actually take advantage of the way I expect Miami are going to try and defend it. Well, and it, it's weird to me because it's kind of talking out of both sides of, of your mouth when you say, uh, I think they can win a series against Miami where he's not the leading scorer. And, and I'm inclined to say he will not be the leading scorer against the Heat in this series for all the reasons that you said. However, that being said, we just went through, well, Miami's missing this player and this player. And, and I totally agree that Jay Crowder was the guy that kind of pulled everything together for them last year. And Trevor Reese is, he's not that guy that I think oftentimes, you know, you knew about Jay Crowder's two-way ability and not that Trevor Ariza isn't, but hmm. Trevor Ariza is the three and D guy that just sits in the corner, hits threes, and he has the length and athleticism that you can match him up, up with guys in the perimeter. He's not going to stop Giannis from getting to the basket. And that's what Jay Crowder brought and Jimmy, and Bam, and even guys like Derek Jones, who's another guy that we didn't mention who had a big series or at least big moments against right. the Bucs in that series. 
So those guys are all gone. So it's, it's kind of chipped away. But uh, I mean, I, I think the, the thing for Giannis is here's where we will see as he's continued to harp on the maturity that he has and the growth and kind of learning throughout this season. This is going to put all that to the test because I, I think Giannis is going to have to almost take a back seat where he's going to have to be the facilitator and he's going to have to get Chris and Drew those open looks and set them up and say, okay, what's best for the team in this series is me maybe scoring 17 points. And Chris leads us in scoring because they're paying so much attention to me. I want to be shocked to see him score close to 30 just because of the personnel that we talked about with Miami where it's, it's not the same anymore. So I think they'll still do a good job on him, but it's, I don't, I would be stunned if it was quite as effective as it was in that series last year. And as you outlined, you know, it's, it's not like Giannis was completely shut off in that series. And you know, the most discouraging part was when it seemed like he was kind of figuring all of it out is when the injury occurred that he had what almost 20 points in those 10 or so minutes in the first half that he played before suffering that ankle injury, that that was clearly his best game of that, uh, you know, brief postseason run. And it seemed like he was starting to piece these things together. But I think they can win this series without him being the best player. And as we've said for everything this year, the difference is Drew Holiday, that you have two guys that are all-star level players playing behind him. So in the past, if it was, well, Giannis has to have a huge game otherwise, or at least, you know, be consistently good. Otherwise the Bucks could be in trouble because yeah, Chris Middleton's a good player, but outside of that, who's going to step up? I mean, now you have two bona fide all-star caliber players and all NBA level players behind him. So if he only scores 15 to 18 points, it, you know, I'm sure national media will look at it and say, well, I mean, the Bucks won, but Giannis wasn't good, but he's actually doing what's best for the team in that spot. Yeah, just one final point here as we wrap it up. I, I do think for Giannis in terms of scoring opportunities, I, I think that's why it's so important that the Bucks hopefully can cool off this Heat team a little bit because what we saw last year with the way they were able to score, it did limit the transition opportunities. And, and I think that we know what to expect from Miami defensively in the half court, but that's where Giannis, and, and this is... Uh, this is no revolutionary idea for me. I'm, I'm, I'm quite aware of that. But if he can get a, a lot of his points coming in transition from the defense, then that's going to open things up a little bit and that's going to allow him to get some of those easy baskets that oftentimes it feels like he's struggled to get uh, against Miami. But, uh, you know, it's going to be fascinating. Like I said, I, I don't think there's many teams, if any, perhaps Philadelphia, that can provide the type of defensive challenge that Miami are going to throw at him. So, uh, again... Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a really back and forth, entertaining series to watch, and I, I think there's going to be lots of of twists and turns in this one. But I have to remind you guys quickly that you can get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Justin, it's Feels weird to say this, but we've still got three or four days uh, confirmed, by the way. Saturday, the game will be on Saturday. You don't have any inside info. This is (laughs) afternoon, evening, uh, late night action. Um, I don't have any uh, inside info yet. I would anticipate to get that soon. My gut tells me this is going to be a 7 o'clock tip or somewhere in that where we're the first evening game. Just because, I mean, there's a chance, depending on where the Lakers match up assuming they get um that seven seed 
this could be the best first round series. Yeah, I, I think there's certainly a lot of intrigue. I've, I've found it really interesting to sort of just listen to some of the national shows over the last couple of days, and people are fired up about this series. Um, I know, I know, we are as well. But uh, it's cool. It's cool to have this excitement. There's going to be lots of talk around the box. You just hopefully uh, hope that they can <laughs> they can live up to uh, what we all think they are capable of. Justin, always appreciate your time, man. Anytime. All right, we'll be back uh, next couple of days. We're just going to keep it rolling. Like I said. Make sure you keep listening to the podcast to uh, find out when I'm going to do this locker room. I'm thinking it could even potentially be a little Friday night action, a little weekend bonus pod. Uh, It's the playoffs. We're going to get fair income here with uh, the show. So we're going to do that. But for Justin and myself, uh, thanks for contributing to the show. Uh, We'll speak to you guys next time.